Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Persuasion by the Pint. I'm Jonathan Taylor, along with Sean McCool. Here, concentrating on pouring my beer. Ah, <laughs> Sean's a little distracted. A little distracted. Don't he can't spill wait. Up. I mean, he's nah. already he's already got it cracked open. He's pouring. We've got a guest on today, Sean. We're going to be yes. talking about our continuing series, our rage against the machine, against <laughs> AI and everything that's associated with that. We it's have more like a, our uh, it's more like our love hate relationship. Our love, okay, there you go. <laughs> like, yeah, dysfunctional relationship with AI at the moment. I know. I feel uh, I feel pretty good after our discussion last week, and then I read about the uh, the founder. Uh, one of the founders is talking doom and gloom again. So I'm like I'm like a, I feel like a rubber band lately, going yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Well, we're going to be talking about that the panic and hysteria <laughs> of marketing AI. Yeah. With a with somebody smarter than us, which is always great for our listeners. That's right. Yeah. He, uh, always always surround out. yourself with someone who knows a little more than you do. Exactly. So check, uh, for those of you watching on the YouTubes or the videos, uh, just throw this up there. He was on a TEDx stage, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's got us beat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. A few more listeners than, or views than we did, than we get. Yeah. So we're, uh, do you want to do the intro and he does have a beverage so we can bring him on. He does. He does. Um, so we have today, he, we have a, uh, Bob. Hutchins, he's joining us. He is an organizational psychologist with a 20-year uh, career in digital marketing and media culture. He is a subject matter expert in digital technology trends, marketing, uh, consumer psychology, and organizational psychology and leadership. Um, so he uh, he talks about a number of things. He's got like you you just showed the. Uh, Bob addresses tech trends uh, with things like what we're going to be talking about today, artificial intelligence, metaverse, crypto. He's consulted with uh, Fortune 100 and 500 companies like Disney, Warner Brothers, Sony, GM, and uh, has been interviewed and featured in the Wall Street Journal and uh, some other news outlets that I can't read on my screen here, but I'm sure they're legitimate. So they're very impressive. (laughs) <laughs> we'll just say, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, with that said, welcome. Uh, let's welcome Bob to the show. He's, he does have a beverage, so he gets to come out of the green room. <laughs> hey, hey. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? Absolutely. Yeah, we're good. All right. Yeah, so welcome, Bob. Uh, first thing we're going to do is we're going to go through our beverages. We teased a little bit. Uh, you're going to shed some light on this whole AI panic and doom and gloom marketing for us today yeah Gotta, I to. throw a little teaser out there like you know don't give away too much <laughs> but enough to keep people listening yeah okay well i will say why i'm going to talk to you guys today about why we love and fear ai at the same time mm. okay that that resonates for sure well, yeah just... i've had i've had these up and day down days where i'm like oh my god it's amazing oh my god i'm gonna be replaced yeah um, yep. sometimes in the same 30 seconds. So, yep, absolutely. It's that's, that's what we're all dealing with. I think on some levels, um, yeah. mm-hmm. at least if you're paying attention, there's still a lot of people that are oblivious at this point. So, um, yep. there's, nice a lot of, there's a lot of factors in there. We'll, and we'll, hopefully we'll dive into it. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, what are you drinking over there, Bob? You're in Nashville, right? I am just outside of Nashville in Franklin, Tennessee. I'm oh, drinking you're in, a you're in horse country. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, it used to be. <laughs> um, 
I'm drinking a red cab. Uh, I think oh, this nice. is from the Wagner family vineyard in California. So very nice. I like a good cab myself. Good cab and a cigar. Absolutely. Bob, that's a beautiful area over there. Um, it is. I go over there every now and then on business. Um, Sean, or Sean and I have a mutual friend over there, David Dutton. Oh, uh, I know David very well. Yeah. <laughs> and a uh, great guy. Spring Hill, Franklin, that, that area is just amazing. And then, and then you got places like Murfreesboro, which, you know, Murfreesboro, Murfreesboro I remember <laughs> like even 15 years ago, there was not much to Murfreesboro. And now it's just like, it's a place to be. Yeah. It is. It's blown up too. Um, yeah. It's a college town, but you can't beat uh, the Williamson County area where we live. The nice thing about it is, you know, probably not unlike Austin and other places, is you can be within 20 minutes of almost anything you want. If you want right. the beautiful rolling hill horse country yeah. suburbs, or if you want city life or anything in between, you can be within a short distance of that. Yeah. yeah. My, my daughter used to ride horses out there in Franklin at the, oh, uh, cool. the big horse park out there. Yep. So yeah, dropped a lot of money in that area. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> I can imagine not a cheap <laughs> hobby. No, definitely not. <laughs> All right. Well, Jonathan, what do you have over there? Okay. Drinking? Well, I have a, uh, something called a cosmic crown. Uh -oh. Um, I'm going to show, well, I'll just show the can here. This is one from, um, cigar city. Okay. I think we've reviewed a couple of uh, Cigar City brews. Uh, they're based out of Tampa, and uh, this one is a um, this one is a nine percent ale. Um, okay. It is a Belgian style strong, <laughs> emphasize the word strong, uh, golden ale. Okay. So um, I've, I don't think I've ever had an ale this strong before. So this will be interesting. Yeah, I've had some quad ales that were definitely mm -hmm. in that range that, are, yeah. that I like. Um, so yeah, sounds good. All right, I've got um, from Untitled Art. I've had them on this show a few times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a barrel-aged Mexican, because it is Cinco de Mayo as we're recording this, style cream stout. Uh, Ooh. It's a little strong, 12.9%. Um, barrel-aged wow. imperial stout with macadamia nuts, cocoa, cinnamon, chocolate, vanilla, and milk sugar. So it's kind of got that Mexican chocolate vibe mm -hmm. going on. Yeah. Um, in a barrel aged, uh, smells, smells very sweet. So we'll see how this, how this goes. Hmm. That sounds really good. All right, All right. Bob, what, what kind I know you have a, uh, you say a, a Cabernet? I do. I have a Cabernet, uh, California okay. cab. So okay. All right. are we toasting? Is, yeah, there, toasting. is there one in particular that you, oh, uh, that, that, that you have a favorite? You know, I have, uh, I really love anything from the Wagner family. They make Camus, but they, Camus, but they also, um, they make Bonanza, they make Conundrum. So anything from that on the cab side, I really okay. like. All right. Very cool. All right. Well, let's cheers it right. up. Cheers. Cheers, cheers to guys. Show. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's the wrong one. <laughs> Come on. There we go. I got a, I got this soundboard, Bob, and I hit the wrong, the wrong, uh, sound effects. So. But we could do it. We could do an applause. I mean, yeah, that why would not? Be, right. That would be an appropriate, appropriate response. Cheers. A toast to our, our, a toast to our future overlords. <laughs> yeah, we should be uh, also cheering to what is there a new king that's about to be crowned in a few hours? Or oh, that's like right. That? That's right. If he survives that long. Our past overlords, right? <laughs> he survives. <Yes. laughs> there you well, go. Been, they've been having him on medical watch the whole week. It's like really interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's oh, been wow. it's having heart issues, I think, from what I've heard. Hmm. So probably just drama dad and it's probably an AI leak. I'm sure. You know, I yeah. watched uh it's funny you say that because I watched there was a um a little documentary on him, I think it was last maybe last weekend. Um and I forgot what channel, but I just, I, I actually caught like the early, it, I caught it right as it was going, it was right before bed. I caught it as the, it was the early years. So quite interesting. Um, yeah. Quite a bit of turmoil. In his, I didn't realize how much uh, turmoil there was in his early life. Like he was kind of a, he's kind of a troubled teen in some, you know, in some ways, or that's the way he was portrayed, I guess. Yeah. Can't imagine you'd run. Wait, uh, be end up dysfunctional in that family. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, no doubt. <laughs> um, yeah, let's quick do a rating real quick. Um, All right. So Bob, we do one to five pints scale mm. one to five, five being the best. You can do decimals, whatever you want. Um, so let's we'll let our guests go first. What would you rate your cab there? Cab? Uh, one to five. I would say it's a, it's a solid four. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. It's a great rating. Jonathan, what do you got on your uh, crown chakra or whatever you're drinking? Super good. Um, man, I'm going, I'm going to go four nine. This is, it's, it's really good. Wow. That is good. Yeah. It's best ale I've ever probably ever had. Oh, wow. All right. Well, I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go like a four, seven, five. This is really good. It does Mm -hmm. have a little something going on that I'm, maybe it'll air out, but. Overall, really good, thick. Mex- it does have that Mexican chocolate taste, mm-hmm. which is really good. I enjoyed that. So, yeah, I'll get a four, seven, five. All right. Strong show today. Good stuff. That's right. <clears throat> All right. Now that we've opened our can of alcohols and bottles of alcohol, let's, uh, <laughs> let's open a can of AI. Yeah. yeah. Drama. First, Bob, tell us a little background because I was watching your, um, I was watching your TED talk. Mm-hmm. And I found it really interesting. You kind of went, um, you know, you talked about a little bit about your background and, and just, you know, coming out of some of the things like, um, the pandemic, a lot of people, um, and just how it affected so many people. But I, I I found that pretty, it was a very intriguing Ted talk. If you would kind of share about your background kind of in the, from a digital standpoint, I know you've been in the digital marketing space for, for a long time. Um, you know, just so our listeners know, if you would just kind of share a little bit about your background and, and yeah, how you absolutely. got into kind of spending more time in on this side of things from a, from the psychology side of things, yeah. um, from your experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, I actually started, my kids call me a dad, you're a digital OG, digital marketing OG. Yeah. And, um, sometimes that's a compliment. Sometimes <laughs> I don't feel like it is, but, uh, I actually started back in the mid nineties uh, when all there was, was CompuServe and uh, <laughs> a little fledgling startup called America online. Oh, uh, wow. And so I worked with a nonprofit down in Florida, South Florida, where I'm originally from and um, did that for a few years. Um, got in during um, the tech outsourcing boom in the late nineties. I jumped on that bandwagon, loved it. Uh, made a lot of money uh, because there was that whole Y2K conversion um, oh, yeah. projects that were going on. And a lot of people know about Y2K in the, in, in the false kind of conspiratorial, all the, the hype that was going on during that time. And there was a lot of it. 
But there was a real, there was a real thing, which was all of these legacy computer systems had to be converted because they had two digit um, number systems in their COBOL code and other code, finance, banking. um, I worked with companies like uh, Royal Caribbean Cruise Line and Blockbuster Video when it was still booming down there in the late 90s. And it was they had to update the, that, those millions of lines of code because a computer, when it turned over to 2000, it didn't know if it was 1900 or 2000. So they had to add those digits. So um, that was a real like I remember the, where I was working. I was working for a trade show company in Dallas and they had a guy in a room for like a year, like working on this. And I was like, this must be real. Like, like, you know, because you'd heard yeah. a lot of the hype. But then I also heard that story. So that, that's yeah, like a were, real there, problem. Nobody knew what was going to happen, right? There was hundreds of millions, if not billions. I don't know what the number of dollars spent on updating that because uh, it was a real thing, you know, because you, when you get your credit card statements or you're balancing or or they're balancing their own internal books, you know, if all of a sudden the computer thinks it's 1900 because no one had the foresight to think, oh, these computers that were launching in the 70s and 80s are not going to be around by the year 2000. No one right. dreamed. Um, so anyway, all of that to say, uh, what I learned in that process was how to sell. I also caught a real vision for what was coming because in the process of that tech outsourcing boom, I always worked in sales and marketing. I saw all of these conversions that were taking place simultaneously, which was client server conversions. Everyone was going over to JavaScript and everyone was talking about the online, you know, getting online and connecting things in a a much more centralized way. And so uh, around 2000, 2001, I had the idea for starting a, a digital agency which I did around 2001, I started uh, a company called buzz plant here in Nashville. And I went to a lot of the record labels, things like that. And uh, started pitching the idea of, you know, what if we built email list of, of fan bases of your artists in order to communicate with them and build relation two way relationships. And ultimately segment those lists and you know that kind of sounds silly now but that was not a thing right like you you paid thousands and millions of dollars to get your artist on the front page of a of a magazine or you know get their songs played on radio you know payola whatever but there was no digital marketing strategy and so um this was th- this started to take off, and um, there was a few labels that took a took a, a gamble, and so it wasn't short order. Within a year or two, I had almost all the record labels as clients. Things started to take off, and then around two thousand three, I got a call from a guy out in Hollywood that said, "Hey, I hear you're doing some pretty interesting things there in Nashville," and I know, Na- I know Nashville has this big faith and family centric uh, community. I've got this movie that might that you might be able to help me out with. And it was uh, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. Nobody wants to touch it. It, (laughs) You know, all the studios have said, no, we're not going to do it. And Mel's going to fund the distribution himself. Would you be interested in helping us? I said, oh, it sounds interesting. So from there, it just blew up um, because we were able to 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 use cell phone technology at the time. 
driving people to see online trailer views around 2004. And um, we continued to grow and, and, and expand. And so over that almost 17 year period that I ran my agency, I began to see a trend that was, um, that was pretty evident to me. And as more that I talked to colleagues, they agreed is that in marketing and specifically an online strategy, we're basically psychologists for our clients. Um, and people say, well, what do you mean? Well, people hire you as a professional to change the behavior of their customers because they can't do it. And they come to you and say, can you help us change the behavior? Can you get them to come to my site more? Can you get them to buy more product? Can you get them to engage longer? Can you get them to whatever? And that's all a human behavior. Um, and so I, I began to connect those dots. Um, and after I closed my agency down in 2017, uh, shortly after I went back and got a master's degree in behavioral and organizational psychology and um, really began to, to dive into that hard. Uh, in my TED Talk, as you mentioned, I allude to some of that. In addition to that process, agency life is, um, it can get really taxing. And I had, you know, I had a brick wall in 2017, my own personal life and just burn out, honestly. And um, what I learned through that was, you know, I wanted to do things better next time. I wanted to upend the traditional agency model and I wanted to dive more into the, the human behavior side. So that's what I've done all throughout that time. I, I'm, I've wrote books. I have uh, four books now that I've written. I just recently published a book with a co-author of mine around the effects of, of digital technology. It's called Our Digital Soul, Collective Anxiety, Media Trauma, and a Path Toward Recovery. But I also uh, teach uh, at the college level some and also speak a lot around tech trends. And I still consult with, with certain clients as well from uh, marketing and strategy. I kind of consider myself an executive growth hacker. That's kind of my title that, that, I, that encompasses all the things that I do in the digital world. I love that, uh, that phrase, media trauma. That's... <laughs> That's, that sounds it's spot real. on. Yeah, it sounds spot on for sure. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We started kind of talking about Y2K um, <laughs> and then we've got AI now. And there's a lot of the same like panic and fear that was used to yep. sell books. And I mean, the prepper thing was crazy in Y2K, yep. you know, selling prepper supplies and basically bomb shelter, you know, filling out bomb shelters with food and water and all that stuff. Sean, I remember going to a, a person's house. I was living in Palm Beach County at the time. And um, I went to the house of a very well-to-do individual. And I think I went there as a young married person or younger person at the time, um, <clears throat> buying something from a garage sale. Okay. This was someone that was probably in their 50s or 60s yeah. who was intelligent, who was, I, I mean, I, I blew my mind because they were selling off all their worldly possessions because literally he and his wife believed that the world was going to crumble and come to an end and that they had done their prepping and everything that they were prepared to get rid of all worldly because money wouldn't be good anymore. And I just looked around and I'm like, certainly this can't be happening 
Um, <laughs> and because I had my finger on the pulse of the tech world, yeah, I knew that what they were being sold wasn't real and true at all on any level. And because right. I knew how things worked. Right. And um, you knew it was being managed by, I knew it was being tech. managed yeah. and I knew with the capabilities of like, if you remember some of the pitches, it's like planes are going to fall out of the sky and right. buildings are going to blow up and all kinds of crazy things. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. So why do we, you know, and now we've got AI and there's a lot of the same types of arguments going on, you know, not a specific trigger date, but the, certainly the same fear, right. That we're going to be society replaced. as we know, it's going to crumble. We're going to take an, you know, we're going to be slaves to a <laughs> artificial intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, I, the question that comes to mind first for me, Bob is like, why do we keep falling for this? Like whether it's the atomic age, whether it's, um, you know, a pandemic, what, no matter what it is, like there's always a narrative for fear. Mm -hmm. And why do we keep falling for it when we've seen it over and over and over in our lifetimes? Yeah. Well, there's many layers. Um, I'll, I'll talk about a couple. Um, but there was a, uh, I wrote an article, uh, that said, why do we love why we love and fear AI at the same time. And in that, this was, I wrote it back in, I think, January. But one of the things that I quoted was there was a survey at the end of last year. And it was uh, Lloyd's Register Foundation and Gallup did this survey. And it's called a, um, it's a worldwide study. And it surveyed about 126,000 people across 121 countries and territories. So basically, every country in the world was interviewed, people interviewed. One of the main questions in that survey was, did they believe that AI would mostly help versus mostly harm people over the next 20 years? So you had a worldwide survey, right? And the results, I think, really reveal something, some interesting dynamics that'll help to answer your question in, in, on one layer. And I think it's it's important to understand how we frame our perspectives. Um, and so there's this quote, I didn't come up with it and maybe you guys can know who it comes from, but it's kind of comes from philosophy and psychology. And it, I always go back to it. And that is, we don't see things as they truly are. We see things as we are. So we can look at the same set of data, but interpret it differently based on our own biases, experiences, and beliefs. I believe most people respond uh, in ways that are say more about themselves than they do about what they're talking about, really. So anyway, that's the, if you, if you look at it like that, and then you begin to look at the data, here's what it was. Three fascinating takeaways for me. First of all, uh, Eastern Asia specifically China, South Korea, and Japan, see this type of technology as mostly helping versus North and South America, where it's the opposite. It's mostly not helpful and mostly hurting, right? Mm -hmm. So from a cultural perspective, in movies and literature, robots in Eastern Asia have mostly been seen as friends and helpers, right? So you have hmm. Ultraman, you have, you know, you have the whole like um, Pokemon kind of world where these creatures and many times robots and uh, things that were created by other humans or, or manipulated 
actually come as helpers and positive, right? They, uh, as opposed to in America, we've had a healthy dose of dystopian narratives at least three a year, right? For the last yeah, for 75 sure. years yeah. where robots yeah. rise up, overtake the human race, you know, Terminator, Robocop, Blade Runner, iRobot, you could probably name 10 others that yeah. just in the past decade, right? And we've been having that since since actually a film was invented. Yeah. So, so, so you could say that it's culture and it's deep in the psyche of the Western mindset. So I think there's an aspect of that. You could also say that the commerce aspect in these Asian countries are some of the primary areas where this technology is being developed. And so um, they have a vested interest in wanting it to be positive. Um, South Korea is very advanced technology-wise. They're way right. more advanced than mm -hmm. we are. Yeah. So um, and, and secondly, I would say in countries that have more limited access to the internet, there's more of an AI will mostly harm uh, people in the next 20 years. So routine use of technology may increase people's comfort the more we use this AI. Um, we've already been using it for a while. People just don't kind of frame it like that. And then the, the third right. thing I will say, and this is controversial, but religiosity, those who said religion was important in their daily lives were less likely than those who said it was not to feel AI will mostly help, uh, in the next 20 years, 47% versus 64% who were respectively. So the concept of artificial intelligence makes many people uneasy from a, maybe a theological or ethical, ethical perspective. Sure. So, I mean, again, it's not saying anything about religion or faith. It simply says, if your worldview is one of two things, constant heavy diet of robots, bad people, good robots are going to come and overtake us, i.e. culture. And, maybe some religiosity that says um, there is a dystopian future of good versus evil and we can kind of frame it and this fits into that narrative. So I think that's a couple of layers of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I can't think of one while you were t just talking, I was trying to think of any science fiction movie I've ever seen where the future is always, <laughs> is always good. It, it's, it is a dystopia. It's, it's, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's morbid. I yeah. mean, minority report, Gattaca, exactly. like they're all, and there's not a lot of logic to it. If, when you talk about AI, the first many times, Oh, it's scary. Mm -hmm. okay, tell yeah. me more. What's scary about it? Well, and then you begin, then you get to enter into illogical fantasies, right? Like, it, it, it's going to have its own consciousness. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, well, you just unplug it. You just turn off a switch. Right. Like, has there ever been a innovation or a technology that kind of took on a life of itself? I mean, we could have that, those discussions, the argument. Sure. So yeah. there are concerns that I have around <clears throat> AI and there are some illogical concerns, I believe personally. So it, it, it's a, it, I try to live on the edge of that coin. Like I don't try to play heads or tails. Uh, th there's a third, there's a third side to a coin and that's called the edge. And I think if you try to live there and balance there, I think you'll find the truth of really what's going on and you can kind of get your own issues out of the way and start to see a way forward. I'm curious since you brought it up, 
what are some of your concerns uh, with AI as we're seeing it right now? Yeah, I think there's some very valid concerns. Um, we could go down the list and we don't have time, but you know, just the training data, um, who, who's managing that? Meaning um, as we've got chat GPT based on data that is learned up until 2021, right? Yeah. So sooner or later, someone's going to pull that lever and they're going to say, okay, now let's, let's, let's make sure it's up to date. And depending on those data subsets, so for instance, um, we can see this with Google. Uh, there was a study that was done that said um, Google uh, college professors, right? And then you go to the image search, okay, all of a sudden you've got 90% of those images are male. Now, does that accurately reflect what's going on in the university world? No. In the university world, most universities are 50% female and 50% male. And yet, when you go to a Google image search up until recently, they may have fixed that. It's for some reason, the algorithm shows if you were to go get me a typical um, college professor it would be a male. Okay. That's a very simple example. Okay. So let's say you take, you take AI and you're training it and you're, and you're creating a AI tool around higher education and, you know, whatever it may be, there's a good chance that the image, the art, the content, the data that it's being trained on is 100% accurate, inaccurate. So take that example and let your mind go and say, who's looking at these things and saying, all right, if you're going to make a, an AI model around um, who's going to get a loan or not, or what parts of the country you're getting uh, data and opinions or socioeconomic data and training it and then rolling it out to the rest of the country or the rest of the world. Those are some things that are just basic one-on-one that we need to be really concerned about because people are plugging this data into all kinds of applications and decision-making processes and number crunching. So that concerns me um, that we're rolling this out so fast that we're not examining those things as it's getting integrated into medical uh, information, uh, pharmaceutical, like I said, banking, finance, et cetera. So uh, I think that's a basic 101 that, you know, while we're talking about the end of the world, um, we could potentially be talking about some just really bad um, data that it's getting trained on because it's garbage in garbage out. Yeah. It's, it's basically, it's, it's repeating whoever the person behind the ultimately behind the coding. <laughs> I mean, people are fallible, right? Um, so that has to mean that at some point AI, you know, AI is fallible. And, you know, I found it interesting in this uh, discussion this past week where, you know, if AI can be, can give answers and can learn, it can, you know, if, if it can learn the, the behaviors of a human being, it can also learn some bad behaviors, right? It can learn how to lie. Right. <laughs> it, it can learn how to, um, 
you know, do all the things, you know, we all, I think sometimes we automatically associate, you know, AI as being just pure, a pure, concise, gives us the answer, everything that we need. Uh, but I think that if, if you've got something that's continually gradually learning in such a capacity as, as it's currently doing, I mean, on the pace that it is, it's, I mean, it's not inconceivable that it could also learn bad habits along the way and That's use right. those and That's right. And justify and- those bad habits or justify those actions in a way that we often justify our actions. Right. I mean, That's exactly right. Another example was um, if you're using it to solve problems and issues, this is a kind of a silly one, but I think it speaks to maybe the logic um, I, I heard. I'm a soccer fan and I, they were yeah. asking the, AI, you know, how do we, how can we use this in sports to help, you know, analyze movements and, and, and crunch data. And so AI was asked, how do you get more touches? How do you get a forward to get more touches on a ball per game? Right. Mm -hmm. And how do you train and help your players to get more touches? Well, the AI said, put the ball really close to the player and have the player vibrate really fast. (laughs) Great logic. And that's, you will get maximum touches on the ball, but totally out of context of the nuance of really what we're talking about is human engagement. So again, a silly example, but Mm -hmm. if that's what it did with that, those are the types of what, what they call hallucinations in AI. Very uh, Dr. Spock or data like, yeah, Star exactly. Trek. You know, it's yeah. like too literal. And I, yeah. I think that's that's definitely one of the problems. Or it could have just been with. maybe it was just being a smart ass. Who knows? Yeah. So those are my concerns. My concerns are 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 maybe some of the inequities that are that are not done on purpose. Maybe some of the bad information, mm-hmm. like you said, and mm-hmm. and ultimately bad habits that we might get from isolated training uh, data versus trying to come together and have some sort of, okay, uh, let's have some different minds and, and, and disciplines think about this from different perspectives. Yeah. Do you think that changes with, and and I'm going to say some stuff that I'm just kind of like, I'm not as, I'm a tech guy, but just my general understanding, top level understanding. So like for instance, Stanford created their own large language model off of chat GPT four for like, you know, pennies on the dollar, basically. So if, if this is an open source type thing, does it allow for that to like other people to start influencing it? Or is it the same base data? So it doesn't matter. I, I don't I even know if that's you, a valid yeah. question. Well, it, that's the other concern because I've been keeping an eye on there. Some people, a couple of, uh, something was announced a couple of weeks ago where you begin to daisy chain these things together. Right. So w- what if you use train AI to analyze AI, you know, how many levels deep can you do that? Right. right. Derivatives. So, you know, derivatives of saying, well, if AI is saying this, can we build a layer on top of it that takes it and goes, can we improve on that? And can we make AI the AI world of data, our learning data for the next level. And then on top of that, on top of that, and will it continue to perfect itself? This is when you get into those kind of more science fiction kind of like, uh uh-oh, once we turn that switch on, then it becomes infinitely intelligent. 
because it's constantly doubling and tripling and it, itself on top of data. So to answer your question, um, I believe the main data source that uh, OpenAI uses uh, and others is everything off of the internet up until, uh, was it December or October of 2021? I don't remember the exact date, but that that's as my understanding. Um, but I think that model will change and expand. What Bard and Google is using right now, I'm not sure if that's 100% accurate because you've got Bing, you've got Google and others that are now mixing it with their search data, which is real right. time. Yeah. So um, that that poses some interesting things as well. So the question, I was uh, having a beer on the back porch with a friend last week and we were talking about some of this. And this idea of like stacking knowledge, right? So if I if I ask AI to give me, you know, 14 ideas for a blog post and I get it to write a blog post, you know, this is just this is just text, not even coding and all the other things it can do. So it's it's basically a derivative of what it learned, right? Or what it went out and sought. And I just picked and choose the parts I liked and had it write and it filled it out. Well, that becomes a blog post on the internet. And as as it starts tapping current knowledge. It's that derivative effect we were talking about. So the question he and I were battling with, isn't that exactly how humans have done it, though, over the last hundred years? Don't we just take two ideas and put them together and create a new idea? Or is there another layer in human thinking, and this is where your psychology stuff might come in, that is more intuitive, inspirational, comes from out there somewhere that AI can't reproduce? Well, AI is not taking just, you know, people misunderstand. AI is not taking a bunch of data and spitting it back and how it's not like search. It's actually digesting the data, like you said, like a human does, and then connecting dots based on what the prompt is, right? Okay. So it, it, it's giving you right now as of, of May of 20, early May of 2023, it has no... Um, incentive desire or programming to check whether it gives you truth or not right it's not checking citations now you could argue that that microsoft bing edge and and bard is, is trying to connect those dots but it, if you just talk about open ai and chat gpt it's its goal is not to give you accurate truth its goal is to give you iteratively what you're asking it's to please yeah. you and say, give me this that sounds like this that's based on that. It goes back like we do in our own brains. And if you were to say to me, hey, paint a painting like Leonardo da Vinci would do, right? And I sit down and I think of his famous paintings and I paint something similar or create, create something that kind of looks like it's influenced from Banksy. If I was an artist, I could do that. Right. Because yeah. I've studied it and I've looked at it and I know what those references are and I know what those famous paintings are. So it, it's a it's a combination of all those things that then says, oh, that's Bob's style, which is actually kind of looks like this, this, this. You hear this with bands, too. Right. You're like yep. they're influenced by you, too. Or those guys, you know, have some riffs that sound like Metallica, but they put it in their own style. But you knew that's what they listened to and were influenced by. Um I agree with you. That's how the human brain works. 
So I'm very suspect of all these lawsuits that are going, you're ripping off this art. How is that any different than someone sitting outside of the Louvre and some French guys painting pictures of the Mona Lisa and selling them to tourists? Like you're not arresting him and telling him that, you know, he has copyright issues. No, he's just taking something that exists in the zeitgeist and he's recreating it or a version of it or influence. This is, this is what school is. This is what college is. This is what life is in our brain. So I know that that can go down all kinds of rabbit trails, but um, I think that's what we're wrestling with. And honestly, guys, I think our fear and all this controversy around our fear of work, it's, it's poking at our identities, right? It's like mm-hmm. humans are the only ones that can have intelligence. And that's just not true. We see it in animals. They're becoming, the more we learn, we realize they're much more intelligent than we ever thought. It's just different intelligent. Right. And now we're dealing with another different type of intelligence. And either we're going to say, hey, let's lean into all the stuff that this is going to free us up to do to be more creative and to be more human and get all this stuff off of our plate. That's really shouldn't be our identities, i.e. crunching numbers all day, writing ad copy for other people, um, making money off of driving, driving and holding a steering wheel. Machines can do all that stuff much better. I get it. And I'm very sensitive to to job loss, but we're going to have to reevaluate how we spend our time and Mm -hmm. what is, um, you know, our priorities and our identities. I don't, you know, we bought into this, like do those things for until you're 70 years old, 65, and then you'll have a few more years to live and you can enjoy life. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're AI is up turning, turning, turning that upside down. Exactly. I think, I think we're headed for a serious, um, like I've, I have a lot of friends here in Austin who are entrepreneurs. They're younger. They're in their thirties. You know, they've made more money in their thirties than their parents or, you know, I did, you know, in my whole life, they've already made that much money in their thirties and I'm seeing them hit these existential crises in their thirties instead of their fifties and sixties. Right. Yep. And I think, I think we're about to see that with AI, it's going to force what you're talking about. These identity, these crises of identities at a, at a massive scale, all at the same time across multiple generations. And I don't know, I think that's the underlying fear that maybe people subconsciously know, but they don't know how to put it into words. So it just comes out as fear. That's right. That's exactly right. It's, it's, I can't sit back again. We don't see things as they are that we, we seeing it as we are like, what is the real underlying fear here that you have against this new technology that's causing you to have so much anxiety and resistance because Marshall McLuhan said um, resenting a new technology is not, will never stop it from happening. Right. So you can resent it all day long. You can fight it, but have we not learned for thousands of years from the invention of fire, just because you fear it doesn't mean it's going to stop it. We have to understand it, examine it, And we can learn a lot from the last 10, 12 years of social media. It has not been all great. As a matter of fact, we're more anxious, we're more divided. So let's learn from it 
And, and, yeah. but, it, but there's no stop on this train. Um, no, that, the horse is out of the barn. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, Sean and I've been talking, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to hear all of these, uh, people within the tech industry who are now saying we need to pause, you know, pause for six months or pause for a year. Um, and that's a different angle, you know, yeah. um, from it. And I think, well, there's no way, I mean, we were just talking last week, there's no way people are going to pause, uh, because you, you know, you're not going to pause and let somebody else get ahead of you, it's, right? It's an arms race at this point. <laughs> yeah. It, it, all new technology creates a mad race, sure. dash, yeah. right? So I yeah. think the best that we can do is people like you and I and our the little tiny things that we can do is continue to have rational conversations and push toward yeah. – um, you know, let's make sure that it is fair for everyone. Let's make sure that anything we create doesn't have the potential of, of harming. Let, let's, let's get ethicists involved. Let's get psychologists. Let's get, you know, philosophers involved in this and look at it from all angles and say, you know, we screwed up some things with social media and we don't have to create attention, uh, steal people's time and attention constantly. There are other ways that we can monetize this and decentralize it to, to, to have a little bit more control over it. Um, so I think those, those are things we're all wrestling with right now. Do you think there's, do you think there's a specific agenda behind those who want to, uh, perpetuate fear and say, let's, let's hold off on this? Or, you know, do you think there's an ulterior, ulterior? I know Elon, I know Elon is, is, is kind of heading that crowd. Yeah. To me, that's a little suspect that he was one of the owners of OpenAI, and then he parted ways before they sold to Microsoft for billions of dollars. Um, and now he's laying, now he's saying, "I'm going to make that on my own." But let's all wait for six months. To me, that's a little. Let me catch up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but- but what about Sam Altman? He's, we talked about this a little bit last week. He's yeah. going around and he's talking about how scary this is or how we don't know what it is. There's a lot and, of concerns. I agree. And I think. It, but is all, that just we, a marketing game? Because if you say it's scary and powerful, then it means it's powerful. Right. So yeah. people want it. That was, that's an article I read and I was like, that's a really good point. I don't know if that's what he's actually doing. Yeah. But it certainly would make sense. That, to a certain, yeah. To a certain demographic who craved that. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I mean, it passed the bar exam at 90%. Yeah. I saw a Journal of American Medicine a, a, a article that came out, excuse me, a few days ago. And it, it said that like 60 something percent, it scored better in bedside manner and uh, medical responses than, than yeah, doctors, right? Yeah. So, you know, Again, there's no stop in the train, and there's so many amazing, amazing. Uh, imagine the world this is going to open up to people with disabilities. You know, mm-hmm. uh, people that can't communicate, or can't learn, or can't see, or you know, all the things that the sky is just going to open up so many things, and um, it has the potential to be to fall into the hands of you know deep fakes and you know 
you know, terror, terrorism and, and people who, who are bad actors who could use it, that's a very real thing. So I think that we're going to see the rise of a whole cottage industry um, around uh, copyright certification, anything that, that is created art-wise or uh, a fake is going to have some sort of embedded watermark in it. Um, I think that's a great use of, of blockchain versus some of the crypto things we've seen lately. Um, I think there's some great uses usages around verification uh, and integration with AI. So all of that, that's, the security that's, side. That's an interesting. I haven't had linked those two before, but the the idea of blockchain is a way to authenticate. Um, that's that's kind of a cool idea. That that makes a lot of sense to me. Like I've never been big on crypto. Right. To me, it's just speculation. Blockchain mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense to me as a technology. Absolutely. Uh, and we're going to see the same thing with AI. When the AI companies start coming and get listed on the stock exchange, this is going to go to a whole new level. Like it's just going to get ridiculous for a while, uh, for sure. Because um, we haven't even hit the speculation phase of AI yet. This is just like the the nerds and the the early it's adopters on the, played uh, with it on the chips that are feeding. <laughs> Like well, NVIDIA and, and companies like that. It's that are, starting yeah. to happen. There was a company, are you familiar with the whole Chegg recently? Mm -hmm. uh, Chegg, C-E-G-G, -G, it's a horrible name. It's a company that is public that um, I believe uh, focuses on higher education. It used to be a company that um, you could rent or, or borrow text, high textbooks in college. Okay. And then after that, they evolved into this, like, <clears throat> we'll help you with your homework. We'll help you learn things, you know? So it's kind of like a yeah. gray hat kind of thing for college students. Yeah. Well, um, it all of a sudden stocks plummeted because college students like, well, wait a second, why do I want to go to Chegg to get them to write my paper when I can go to AI? So that hit the news recently as, as a, as um, you know, the first, official kind of public company that that was affected by it and and i think that's an obvious one right mm -hmm. so where do you see you know putting on your psychology your marketing all the different hats you've worn in your lifetime like where do you see like the human like what are we going to be doing uh, yeah and how soon like how soon do you see all this like really upending things because i i have a personally i think I think it's going to happen a lot faster than most people are willing to admit. Uh, I, I think two to five years, like the world could be vastly different. I think it's uh, going to do two things. It's it, it, it will definitely upend, like I said earlier, those jobs that um, we're going to see that machines, i.e. computers can do a lot better than humans. So the question is that I keep going back to, if a machine can do it better than you, should you be spending your life focusing on that? And what are the things that the machine can't do that you do much better? Can we focus on that? So here, here's my tech optimist hat on. I think this is going to spawn, and maybe we can get together in a couple of years, guys, and see if I was right, uh, the biggest renaissance since the renaissance. And here's mm -hmm. why. There would be no Beatles without McCartney and Lennon, right? When they were together, it was magic. When you create something, you usually don't create it in a vacuum. It comes from 
you know, Jonathan and Sean getting together and having a beer and creating a podcast, right? It comes from you and your buddy, you know, coming up with an idea or a group of people. That's the, that's the, the principle of a mastermind, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine having a, a very sophisticated colleague that is your linen to your McCartney is a sophisticated intern that sits by you all day and assists you um, and is super smart and is a living encyclopedia. Um, you guys are old enough to remember encyclopedias. Uh, I sold them. I sold yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what does big, that produce? Like the kid who wanted to potentially write a novel or the kid that dreams of being an actor, writing a screenplay or the kid that dreams of, you know, whatever creative endeavor, all of a sudden he's got something, a tool that he can enable him to do that. And you could argue, well, you know, it's not a real human being. Yeah, but it's, it's the next best thing that will enable him to bring his human creativity to a whole nother level. So I think it's going to free up people's time to focus on that. Um, and it's going to emphasize in the workplace. There was another uh, study that just came out by the World Economic. Uh, I can send you if you guys are interested in the that came out. World Economic Forum, I think, came out a few days ago. It said in an interview to 800 and something companies around the world, about a 50 page report section that said, what are the most important skill sets in the next three years? The number one skill set above everything else was creative thinking. Now, that should tell you something. When the number one skill set of corporations says, we've got to have creative thinking, we're going to enter into a phase of creativity and creative thinking like I think the world's never known um, because of all the things that I have said. Uh, I think if you've played around with prompts or gotten, you know, the more creative you are with those prompts, the better quality of information comes out. And that's exciting to me for solving diseases and, you know, helping with people that are shut in and the elderly uh, on and on it goes. So that, that, that's my, my prediction of the future. And we're going to have to go through a rough time of bad actors who are going to be using it to get rid of the Indian, uh, you know, call farms in India where you have a, thousand people in a room calling people and saying, Hey, this is a social security, give us money or else we're going <laughs> to, now you're going to have your own daughter's voice because it's wow. accessible on the internet. It's true. Calling you and say, Hey dad, I'm stuck. And I need you to wire me some money. Yeah. Those oh, are wow. the things we're going to have to deal with. Wow. Yeah. yeah I've that's... seen, I've seen some of those where <clears throat> that's already happening where they're mm. you know, it's pretending to be your grandmother saying your brother just got, you know, in a car wreck or just crazy stuff. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. That's um, crazy. Yeah, I, I definitely, it's, it's interesting you say that because I was doing a training for a lot of small business, you know, online marketer type people uh, earlier this week. And one of the things I said, it just kind of came out as I was talking about copy and marketing and then using AI. I was like, you guys are taking it too seriously. Like you're treating it as a tool, which it is, but if you treat it as a toy, I think you'll have a lot more fun with it. Hmm. And if you go in and you start prompting as it's a toy or a video game and not a tool, you know, cause we're so right 
or is it right brained here in the, the Western world? Like, you know, it's, Oh, now we can 10 X our pro productivity. No, right, maybe right. we can just like <laughs> pump yeah. the brakes on that. Maybe we could just be, have more free time, you know, but so I, maybe, I, but yeah, but then everybody <laughs> else, that, there's this arm, there's content arms race going on, especially in the absolutely, world. Absolutely. But, yeah. But the point I, was I, like, treat it like a toy, not a tool. And I think you unlock more of that creativity. I like sure. that. I, I, the way I use it is, I think I mentioned earlier, I use it as a sophisticated intern. You would mm -hmm. never take the intern's work and throw it in front of the client without reviewing it, tweaking it, changing it. Um, but it's really nice to have a smart intern uh, to, to be there to help you, you know, do the things like give you those ideas and write stuff that you don't want to waste your time writing um, all of that stuff. So well, I, I, mean, I, I use it. Um, there was some, this is something I would never do on my own. I had it right. So my birthday was in March. Um, I had, I had a birthday card and I was about to like, I was trying to decide like, do I throw the card away? Do I keep it a little bit longer? Like, I don't know what to do with the card. And, and I was thinking about, it, I was like, man, that sounds like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> so I went to chat GPT and I said, write a Seinfeld episode about, the confusion around when to throw away a birthday card mm. and it, and in, you know, 30 seconds, it had written the entire show, you know, with characters, the right voice, everything. Cause it has that data, right? It's I've noticed it does a lot better if you ask it for pop culture type references. Yeah. Um, because it's, there's so know, much opposed to like, right. Yeah. And there, you know, direct marketing as much as we all love it. It's pretty small blip on the radar of world content, right? So it's more likely to know Seinfeld than David Ogilvy. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> although you'd be surprised if you start uh, again, it, I'm amazed at the sophistication of and detail that you can give in a prompt. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, like I, I will tell it sometimes, like pretend that you're Dave, David, you, that you work, uh, that you're a head copywriter at Ogilvy. Mm -hmm. And blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to give, I'm going to ask you questions about this product and I need you to respond as if you're that person. Okay. And it'll say, okay, Bob, I understand. Here's how it, and then I'll have this conversation. Yeah. Um, and it begins to, to really do some amazing results on that. And again, yeah. like a sophisticated, highly educated intern that I'm not going to, just spit it out and give it to a client. I'm going to review it. It's going to prompt me. It's going to give me bullet points that I can work with. Um, and I'm going to put my human touch on it, but it's going to save me a lot of time and make me more efficient so that I can be more creative and spend sure. more time on those deeper things that I need to, to really. So to answer your question, I think it, it, it will spurn some interesting creative, creative times. And I think it will, also give rise to the evident experts amongst us. Um, when everybody's, when everybody is crying about, um, Oh, everything's going to be commoditized and my copywriting is going to be done on machines. Well, guess what? <laughs> what that's going to do is make, get really good at your copywriting because there's going to be a market for human only written copy. And if you're really good at it, you're going to be the, you're going to rise up and be the evident expert and be able to charge a lot of yeah. money. Right. Because everything else will be commoditized down. Sure. Right. So it's like, um, you know, 
handmade furniture, right? Handcrafted. Yeah. Handcrafted. Handcrafted. <laughs> Handcrafted will take on a whole new meaning as mm-hmm. we move Absolutely. forward for sure. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> that um, human touch, man, that there's no, uh, there's no substitute. Absolutely. How do you, so Bob, how do you like a timeline wise, like, you know, mm-hmm. some people are saying, Oh, I don't see it replacing, you know, jobs for, you know, five years or two years or, where do you fall as far as how fast do you think this is going to continue to accelerate? You know, I think it's not going to be a cross the board thing. I think it's going to be industry specific. Um, I think those industries that are built on the back of mediocre copy and information will be hit the hardest, right? I don't think that we're going to see the big agencies or companies lay off tens of thousands of people because of, of chat GPT. I think it'll be a slow iteration much like I referred, I referred at the Y2K conversion. There was all these like COBOL programmers that were on their way out. Then all of a sudden they had a resurgence and they were charging, you know, back then it was like 75 bucks an hour. Uh, and they were making tons of money. There was a lot of money. That was like 150 bucks an hour now, right? For a COBOL programmer. Yeah. And um, y- you could write your own ticket. So I, th- but then when that was over, there was a slow fade of that because, you know, you could still find COBOL, but there's not a lot of it around 20 years later, however long. Um, I think that's the way we're going to see it. I think people are going to have to readjust, realign. Um, certain industries will get hit immediately within the next six months to two years. I think other agents, other, other ones we're going to turn around in 10 years from now and go, Oh, it looks very different than the way it did today. So I don't think there's a need to, to be fearful. I think there's a need to recognize, um, how this can help, how it can hurt. And like uh, Marshall McLuhan said, you know, he was a media theorist, Back in the day, he was a Canadian media theorist. He's the one that mm-hmm. coined the phrase, the medium is the message. He said that all new technology innovation, it displaces uh, the previous iteration and version of it, but it also pulls back those uh, so one that had been replaced by another one. So example, when streaming uh, music came because of the iPod, right? and we all got rid of our albums and our record players, what happened all of a sudden? Now, all of a sudden, everybody wants vinyl again, and they want that human touch, right? So Mm -hmm. it brought back something that was previously put away. When the eBooks came out and Kindles, they were like, oh, the death of the physical books. And guess what happened? The last few years, physical books have boomed. Yeah, my daughter's daughter's 22. So my question is, what will AI pull back that was previously, you know, made obsolete? That is a Mm -hmm. rule of media that always happens. What did, what did podcasting, what we're doing that pulled back talk radio that the digital world and satellite had said, that's obsolete. No one listens to talk radio. It's gone. You're going to hear it online. And now all of a sudden, everybody's like, I want to hear three white guys talking about AI for mm-hmm. an hour, right? <laughs> right. Like everybody's right. like the attention span, you know, it's, it, you can't, you got to get people's attention in, in three seconds. Well, no, 
I've got people, we've got people making comments and sitting here to listen to us blather on. Um, yeah. So, so we have to ask ourselves, what does AI pull back? What does mm-hmm. it bring back? Yeah. And I believe it's going to be like you said, Jonathan, that handmade side. Yeah. Don't be surprised if you see the typewriter industry pop back up when the all tradesmen. It's yeah. yeah. We're I think we're we're moving back towards the trades or the tradesman type mentality. Where I mean, even if you're in the, you know, you're in the tech sector, there's a way that you can, you know. I think the worst thing that you can do right now. I think the worst you know, position you can be in, in terms of, you know, a career as being with a, a really large company, because, you know, you see IBM this week, they announced, you know, they're about to lay off 8,000 jobs and replace it with AI. Yeah. If you're with a really large company and you're a cog in the machine, you're probably not in a good place right now, but you know what, that opens up new opportunities, just like the internet did, you know, that you can, you know, obviously create new avenues on your own, either small business, entrepreneurial. I mean, there's so many opportunities out there that it opens up for you. Um, I just think that it's people, I think people fear uh, what it, you know, the disruptive effect right now that it has on their jobs. But I think that it's a good thing in the long run because it does open up just like Sean and I have talked about, you know, how many, how many opportunities did the internet open up? You know, it created or automation. You know, I I remember the, what was the end of work book that came out, what, 30 years ago? Uh, I forgot the author, but it, you know, it was like, you know, here comes automation and the internet and it's going to change everything. We're not going to work anymore. And I do agree that with you guys in the sense that, yeah, it's going to free us up for uh, better things more creative type opportunities that we can manage and, and really work at our own, at our own time table, you know, so to speak, you know, what, what we want to put into it. I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's necessarily going to interrupt work in and of itself, but what we want to put into it. Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And, and I think too, that there is, you know, you mentioned, I don't think I ever addressed it. Like what's the motivate. Do you think there are bad actors or motivators or media? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That fear sells, right. It's like, of course, (laughs) of course people want you to be fearful of like it plays into your psychology and I'm going to click and I'm going to read it. If you're like, it bleeds, it leads. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's that, there's the, you know, a hundred years of sci-fi dystopian. <laughs> uh, there's, there's just human nature. That's, that's fearful of anything new and different. That's going to challenge sure. my way of doing things. Um, and if you're locked in and you're in your fifties and sixties and getting ready, you know, retirement is in sight and something is going to disrupt that. I have, I have empathy for you. I understand that that's Absolutely. a little scary. Like, Oh no, like I've been making good money writing copy and I could get, I could be let go next week. Right. Um, It's funny you say that because I actually, I I would be more fearful if I was 20 than I am at 52. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, I got to deal with this acceleration of pace (laughs) for the next 80 years. Like there's a lot to keep up with. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that that side of it too, but Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely fascinating. Like where um, this ends up and as humans, do we allow the space or do we fill it and yeah. just try to produce more? 
that's what technology has done up to this point. We've just filled the space that it provided mm-hmm. with more and more and more work. And it feels like this is a technology that could actually reverse that, but will it, will we even allow it? Or are we mm-hmm. just going to be like, Oh my God, now I can do a hundred times the you know, content or coding or right. whatever. Well, um, I think those are, that's a, those are individual decisions. I think mm-hmm. there's some really good, there's some good people like Tristan Harris at the center for, you know, humane technology, um, there's several people at Stanford that are really thinking through, okay, let's make sure we don't make some of the same mistakes that yeah. we're not, like you said, it's not an arms race where we're trying to capture as many installs and attention and time versus um, let's create models, financial models that work for businesses, but, but take into account human flourishing as a priority first. Uh, because like I said, we live in a much more efficient, connected, and uh, opportunist world for people because of the internet. We simultaneously live in a world that has higher mental health issues. We feel we, we're more divided. Um, mm-hmm. On and on we could go. Like There is a yin and a yang with all of this, but we can do better and keep pushing forward. Um, sure. And it's not going to be the end of the world, January 1st, 2000, like everyone predicted. This is just another one of those that says, oh my gosh, in a year, we're gonna, we're not going to be here. Uh, yeah. We will be here and we will be using this technology, but hopefully we'll push forward and learn from our past a little bit to make something a little more humane. That's great. Um, On a yeah. funny note, I still remember uh, people within my family talking about the introduction of the computer, (laughs) you know, and how like, this is going to mess up everything and I'm not getting on board. And, you know, and that was like back in the 80s, you know, personal computer, you know, it's like, that was how disruptive was that and how much did that really improve things? So, well, I I actually read an article. It was talking about um, when the automobile came out. Yeah. And the term horse sense <laughs> came from the idea that it was more dangerous to drive an automobile because there weren't two physical living beings. Right. You didn't, you lost horse sense. Like the horse mm. had its own sense of interesting avoiding conflict, avoiding a crash for its own self-preservation. So ho- that's where horse sense came from was this yeah. idea that it was smarter than an automobile. <laughs> and if you lose that, Oh my God, you've just got these, you know, robots basically back These then. machines that know nothing. They right. have no whatsoever. Which is that's a great. That's a. The, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, in thinking about AI and and relearning and jobs and displacement, when the automobile came out, you know, there was a big displacement of people who were iron workers and welders who made horse right. and buggies, right? right. Because now right. all of a sudden. These new displaced machines are made in factories and Henry Ford came along and all that. Well, what did they do? The smart ones within a few short years said, oh, cars enable people now to move into cities and come together and less agricultural, right? And in, in these growing cities, people ride bicycles. 
And so they retooled making horse and buggies and they made bicycle industry was born. This yeah, is where absolutely Schwinn, Schwinn yeah. was born, right? Now and that's forward thinking right there. I that, mean, that's what AI is going to do, right? It's like, yeah. you don't have, we're not going to lose your skills. You just yeah, have to yeah. imagine a world where you're not spending eight hours a day writing ad copy for someone else for your hourly rate. You're going to sure. say, how can I utilize this new technology to do what I do best, which is creativity, writing, mm-hmm. et cetera, creating new ideas um, in a different format, just like making bicycles instead of making horses and buggies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you're starting to see that you're starting to see, you know, forward thinking entrepreneurs looking at um, AI and chat GPT for so many industries. You know, you talked about the medical industry, you're talking about, you know, education. I'm super excited about education because I think that that's where uh, we're super lacking right now. And um, I think that that's going to change everything to our benefit, really. Um, you know, I agree. Just, uh, well, just opening that up. So, yes, yes. yeah. Imagine a world where a kid can learn. And I mean, right now, if you <clears> go to Chat GPT and say, "Yeah, um, I want to learn how to um, run a five, you know, a, a, a let's say seven minute mile right. um, over the next, you know, three months, give me a plan every day." Give me a diet and give me the strategies for doing that. Right. It will create and work mm-hmm. with you on it. Put yeah. a vocal, put a realistic vocal on top of it and put together a curriculum for a kid. Um, that's, that's life-changing because right. you're pulling from the collective database of the world, not just mm-hmm. the mind of an eight hour period with three teachers. Right. Um, that is, that's to me, that's pretty amazing. Yep. There you go. Right there in front of us. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Look at that. <laughs> As we speak in real time. <laughs> um, it it well, is crazy. It's great, like, man. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do think the magic, uh, cause I've been playing with this with copy for clients and things like that. And it's, it has delivered some one liners that I'm like, they take my breath away. Like it's yeah. just, it, it comes out with stuff, but if I trace it back, it was something I said in the prompts using my own mm-hmm. intuition that really triggered that, that next level of writing from chat GPT. And Prompt I think that's engineer is a job. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. That's uh, they're saying that that's like crazy um, in demand right now. Um, I may have to go fill out an application. You know, the funny thing to me about all of this is, how soon we forget that this this learning technology is integrated into our lives and we no longer question it. So when I right. put on Waze in my car, mm. no one says to me, Bob, what are you, weird for not knowing how to read a map anymore? And yeah. you, what are you, <laughs> why are you depending on a robot yeah. to tell you where to go? We right. don't think twice about that, mm-hmm. right? Or uh, grammarly, right? It's 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 telling me how to say it better and correcting me and yes. saying this sentence is too long. We don't think twice about that. But yet, for some reason, with this new technology, because it's so big and impressive, um, we get scared. And and I understand that it's new and it's different. But if we just take a step back and observe our progress, um, we've been enjoying. You know, I'm glad that my lights. 
uh, my headlights come on by themselves and they know when to come on and when not to come on and to come on at turn off at cars and not to reflective yeah. signs. And <laughs> this is all yeah. learning technology that we, that we really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, it does feel a little bit different for some reason. I don't know why. Um, like even if I think back to the, you know, 99, you know, getting online and all that, that just, to me, it didn't feel as much of a threat as this does. I don't know why. Um, maybe my age is different. I don't know what's going on. Um, so it'll be interesting to just see how it plays out. But uh, I think yeah. it's because we call when we, if we had, if we had a different word for it, uh, I think when we, when we anthropomorphize and call a machine intelligent, which I think mm. it's really a, it's not the best word. It, that was coined in the fifties, sixties right. when scientists came up with it. We're not talking about intelligence because if you really look at it, it's ones and zeros and it's algorithms and it's programming language, right? That's and a great point. Uh, so I think that's part of it because now we're going, oh, what if it becomes smarter than us and it becomes mm -hmm. sentient? Um, yeah. We anthropomorphize every, a lot of different things. And it, it triggers this tribal response like we're going to get kicked out of the tribe. Right. I mean, that, that, that to me is the the underlying fear is like, I'm going to you know, go back to identity and we can wrap up with this. Um, you know, Bob, you said it really attacks the identity. Like, what am I going to do with my life? I'm getting kicked out of the tribe. I'm no longer useful. You know, it's what causes people to die after retirement, you know, too fast yeah, right. is that they no longer feel useful and they, you know, they kind of wither up. So that's going to be the big, you know, mental health. I think, I mean, mental health is already, I'm glad mental health has been brought to the forefront recently because I think it's going to be a bigger problem and a bigger opportunity to, to work with people moving forward because this is going to trigger some stuff for sure. Yeah, I, I'm speaking this year at the Mental Health Marketing Conference. It's in Nashville every year. And um, Steve Turney, who does that, and I'll be speaking about AI and, and mental health uh, professionals. I think that in itself is going to be a huge benefit obviously a huge struggle because people are already um, gravitating toward AI partners and, and relationships, which that's going to be a real thing. Yeah. To do. I find it interesting. I was reading this week that people are seeking AI for counseling now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and if you really think about it though, I mean, <clears throat> if, if we could provide a world where there was a way to check in with people, including mm -hmm. ourselves, to then be prompted. Uh, for yeah. instance, what YouTube has done, especially with young girls, like they know when someone's going down a rabbit hole and searching for how to lose weight, how to look better, how to remove inches. And they know that that girl is in a certain age demographic and, and has been doing that for four hours a day for the past month. There's no reason that a company like that can't build in algorithms to go, wait a second, we need to readjust because we know this is not healthy, right? Right. In the same way, could there not be AI that's created to, 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 to be applications and ways to, to ask ourselves cognitively, like to do cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. um, and things like are. that? I've actually, yeah. I've actually subscribed to a, a is a, a guy that I coached with and uh, he built an app That's awesome. that uses a cognitive therapy type approach where you just type in and it just goes back and forth and just, and it's pretty amazing. It's very effective. Um, 
and there's there's a certain anonymity to it that it, it or it feels that way anyway that you're willing to say whatever to it that is a, i think an advantage of a machine when you're talking to a chat bot or something it feels a little more like it feels like you're not being judged as much right well so that's probably like, good to a therapist right and that's right. why a therapist says we can't have a really a relationship outside of this exactly and i don't i'm not going to tell you about my personal life i'm just mm-hmm. going to prompt you with yep. the questions to think about things, basically act like I'm going to act like a robot. Yeah. Um, and, but I'm going to intuitively know how and when to ask the right questions and get you to think about things so right. that you will come up and say it yourself. I have no problem with a machine doing that. Um, yeah. I think people, and I don't remember who said, I saw a video, YouTube video that said pretty soon people will actually prefer, will choose the AI for that very reason, because it feels more anonymous and it feels more, um, even though it's yeah. obviously being stored somewhere <laughs> somehow, um, you know, that's, that's well, the next, that's I the mean, next level of like a privacy and all that stuff that we have to deal with too. Well, if you think about in Catholicism, the value of, of confession is mm-hmm. that you get something off your chest yep. and yes, you could say it's because you're telling it to another human, but what, what is that format? you go inside, you don't see them, you're in it by yourself, you remove the humanity, but you just know that someone else is there listening to you. So that I know that's controversial, mm-hmm. but if we'd really take the time to think through um, the value and how we get to some of these deeper issues within ourselves, we can begin to see how it could connect the dots. And let's not, at the same time, how can we keep it from isolating ourselves that's what we've learned yeah the that's, the, that's the trick yeah for sure because there, there yeah. is a theory in coaching life coaching i do some life coaching it's called the lamppost theory like if there was a lamppost outside your office and every night you went out and you just dumped on the lamppost you'd actually be better off because it's just it's just a verbal awareness of yourself like it doesn't sure yeah who's listening doesn't matter it's the fact that you're willing to speak it out loud and mm-hmm. you're willing to process it that's the magic yeah. So whether it's a machine listening or a person listening, it doesn't matter. The, it's the bigger point is you, you as a human is mm-hmm. willing to, it's an awareness thing. It goes back to Buddhism or, you know, mm-hmm. anything in the old Eastern religions. It's just the awareness that you have a problem and you're willing to talk about it. That yeah. makes a big difference. And I think, I do think AI can help a lot in that. So. Yeah. 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 I think we're, we're headed to a different tomorrow. Um, I think we're, you know, I think it's going to happen faster than we think. And um, there's going to be some great things and there's some concerning things. So I don't think we solved it here, but hopefully people listening got some different perspectives. Yeah, for sure. Who knew, who knew we could get food delivered with an app, you know, when, when the app store came out, the iPhone came out or, or, you know, replace the taxi industry. Well, soon that soon there will be no one driving that car, and you'll have, <laughs> and you won't be driving your own car, and you're going to have so much more time to do yes. other things. I don't know, Bob. I, <laughs> it's I'm already not ha- there. I'm not there with you yet. We already have driverless. I'm a control cars. freak. We already have them in Austin. So yeah, Uber dude. already has driverless cars in Austin. It's already happening. So. Yeah. yeah you know, I've always told my wife control is an illusion, but I don't practice that myself when it comes to driving. So, uh, 
You're that's more like Will Smith. You're like Will Smith and iRobot, right? You're <laughs> like, right. no, that's right. I'm driving this thing. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Bob, this has been fun. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, how can how can our listeners learn more um, about you? Find out. Uh, obviously, you've written a couple of books here lately. Yeah. Uh, what's the best? Yeah, place they can go to, to Amazon. Um, Finally Human was a book I wrote a few years ago called uh, Finally Human Using digital okay. media to restore culture and better our world. And then my most latest book that was just released uh, at the end of last year, which was the kind of opposite of that is um, our digital soul, collective anxiety, media trauma, and a path toward recovery. And I wrote that book with a friend of mine who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Her name is Jenny Black. So mm-hmm. therapy perspective, digital technologists, organizational psychologist perspective, um, and really helps to um, I'm sure- kind of frame frame a, a more uh, rounded view of of that subject. Yeah, I mean that you know we could get social media as a whole. I mean that's a topic in and of itself that you know you could get into. So I'm sure that that's yeah, yeah. I have a lot of a lot- opinions about social media and. Um, <laughs> that it's a different world than, than even AI and what we're talking yeah. about. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And then finally human was my effort to frame um, a lot of the digital world in my, in my background in, in digital media to really make a more um, there it is the black and white one um, to make a more huh. um, um approach of how do we use, how do we take a restorative human flourishing application to our digital environments, you know, Mm -hmm. which we don't normally think about, like, how does my activity online in the context of an attitude of, of restoration, leaving things Mm -hmm. better than I found it, um, all of those, how does that play into, to my digital life? So that, that, that's those two things. But as far as getting in touch with me, um, just go, you can look up my name on LinkedIn, obviously on Instagram, it's BW Hutchins on everything else. It's Bob Hutchins, Twitter. Um, I think yeah. even on TikTok, I believe it's also Bob Hutchins as well. Fantastic. We'll certainly be posting links and encourage people to check out your, uh, your Ted talk too. That was really good. So yeah. we'll, uh, we'll yeah, post the link to that. Yeah. Yeah. Optimism. That's a whole nother subject. Yeah. That's good, man. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much. It's been fun. I'm glad we solved uh, all of the uh, current, uh, you know, current world problems today uh, or in the future in the next 30 years associated with AI. It's been fun, guys. (laughs) Thank you for the great questions and thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to the Nobel Peace Prize uh, nomination after this episode. So yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. We'll spread hey, Bob, it. Bob, if you don't mind, hang out if you would just for a minute in the green okay. room. We'll bring you back up after the show. We're going to close out, and then I uh, would love to chat with you just for okay. a few few minutes on the back end. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Good stuff, man. Loved it. Great yeah, discussion. I, I could talk with him all day. Yeah, like yeah, it's fun. it's good. We should probably. I'd have to get him to drink a few, back in. Yeah, I'd have to get him to drink a little bit more wine so we could really find <laughs> out what's going on. But uh, yeah, I, I'm sure we could get into pretty deep on the social media yeah. aspect of things. Yeah, that, that could be fun. We may have to do that. So yeah, good stuff, man. Uh, fun to talk about. I, it's it's you know as we talked about before the show, my um, 
you know, every time we do one of these podcasts, Sean, I'm very encouraged about AI and I'm excited about it <laughs> only to get dragged down by the, the media next week. So, so, somebody in the news yeah. or I'll hear some report of how AI is going to destroy our civilization yeah. here in the next day or two. So, yeah, I wanted to welcome, um, we had a YouTube viewer, Christy yep. Songwriter is her yeah. YouTube name. Uh, haven't seen that name on here before. So thanks for yeah. showing up and yeah, thanks, interacting thanks for with comments. the comments. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Write some, you can write some cool songs with uh, chat GPT. That's for sure. No um, doubt. So, no yeah, doubt. So. I'm excited. Cause I, I mean, there's just, there's so many things. Uh, you know, I was, I was using chat GPT today, Sean, just to give you an example um, I had a company reach out to me uh, today or actually yesterday. They were using a specific application for it was a, a chemical engineering um, problem. And I had not heard of this process before. Went to chat GPT and man, it laid it out perfectly. <laughs> it's amazing. You, and you walked in the boardroom like I look like the smartest guy <laughs> Uh, in the virtual room as we speak. Yeah, that's I mean, awesome. That is, so I, that. I look like a win, you know, and and no one, I obviously I didn't say I used ChatGPT, but it yeah. gave me some great feedback. I utilized that and dug a little bit deeper. Man, it was great. Because, I, you know, honestly, I couldn't find anything on Google that I trusted. Yeah. Know, just Google searching. So yeah, that's cool. Very it's good cool. stuff. All, All right. right. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate you listening. As always, you can find us at persuasionbythepint.com. You can find us on all of your uh, podcast platforms, Stitcher Radio, iHeart, Spotify, uh, uh, you know, Apple, iTunes, you name it. Uh, you can find us there. Check us out. And uh, Sean, it's been fun. We'll see you guys next week for episode uh, 307. 308. Somewhere in there. <laughs> All right. See you guys. See ya. All right.